Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about spider mites, and that's something we're actually fighting right now on our own farm. So we'll have some firsthand stuff for you on today's program. But our, our phone lines will also be open, 844 844- 44 ag phd if you have an agronomic question or if you would like to talk a little more about spider mites that's fine too you can also send us pictures soil tests tissue tests or your questions via email radio at agphd.com. all right brian spider mites we've got them again this year and no surprise we've been a little warm and quite a bit dry yep we're at half normal rainfall now for the last three years in a row and that's what ends up happening when you've got good moisture levels lots of humidity then a lot of times at least in our region of the country spider mites will get a fungal disease and they die so it's awesome for us but yeah this year uh, no such luck so earlier on we were spraying bifenthrin before we ever saw spider mites just because bifenthrin does have some activity on mites the the challenge whenever you spray an insecticide is you're going to kill beneficials in addition to killing your whatever target harmful pest you're after so we always have to worry about mite flare-ups when the beneficials aren't there now if by the way if you're listening and you go oh boy i want to kill my insects but i don't want to kill the beneficials you don't have many choices Uh, there's transform and there's safina for example that are really good aphid products not good on almost any other insect but they are pretty easy and beneficial. So if you want to go that direction, great. It's going to cost you a little more money. Not much. It's like seven, maybe eight bucks an acre. But I mean, that's an option. Anyway, like on our farm, now that we've seen mites and it's still early, I mean, it's only mid-July. If it was early to mid-August, it'd be different. And I'd probably just say, ah, let's just go by fence and we're fine. But this early, we don't just want to kill or injure the adults. We want to kill the eggs also, and we want to leave some residuals. So hopefully we don't have this massive outbreak again and have to spray again three weeks from now. So anyway, right now we're using zeal on our farm, but there are plenty of other good miticides as well. It's just when you switch from like before we were using, okay, so originally like a Lambda product, it costs three bucks an acre. Then you go to a bifenthrin that's maybe five or six bucks an acre. Well, when you go to a true miticide, you're probably going to spend 10. And I know a lot of people don't want to spend $10 an acre, but if you got mites, I mean, they can take way more than $10 an acre from you if they do much damage. Yeah, it's been amazing to see how many mites are out in some of these fields. And and I know a lot of times it might just be one area of a field, but I've been seeing whole fields, Brian, where several leaves up from the bottom on corn have been just loaded with spider mites. And that problem's not going away if you don't do something about it. They've they've gotten to be at too large a population for beneficials to catch up. Right. Now, I will say the most important leaf on that corn plant is the ear leaf. So if you're looking at the leaf that's right by the ear and you've got spider mites there, yeah, you need to spray. With soybeans, we usually talk about the upper leaves, the newer growth. Um, I mean, let's be honest. If it's the the lowest leaves on a corn plant or a soybean plant, they don't catch a lot of sunlight anymore because of crop canopy. So I'm not that worried about them. But nevertheless, I I mean, you know what's going to happen over time is the mites are going to move. Their populations are going to grow if you don't do something about it. 
Now, I, I, I will say, too, one common question we get is, well, what happens if we all of a sudden uh, get all kinds of rainfall? Is it possible that some of the mites could wash off? Sure, it's possible, just like aphids could wash off or any bug could wash off. But is that going to be enough? And when are you going to get the rain? And how much rain are you going to get? And, I mean, a lot of unknowns there. So when I look at commodity prices today, and, yes, I realize they may not be as high as what you got a few months ago, they're still, I mean, historically speaking, they're relatively high. So if you lose very many bushels, you've lost a ton of income, and that that stinks. Yeah, it sure does. And while, while growers are out looking at fields this time of year, just like we are on our farm, you're seeing lots of different things out there. And you got to look really closely to see these mites. They're very small. A lot of times I will see leaves that are discolored. I'll see uh, patterns and so forth on the leaves that I recognize from seeing past spider mite infestations. But you can certainly use a, a magnifying glass, those types of things. Uh, some people will shake the leaves on a white piece of paper and watch for little mites, that kind of thing. Just depends on what you've got for tools, but there's a lot of different ways that you can look. Uh, Brian, you want to take a quick question here before we hit the break? Go ahead. All right. It's the mailbag! Well, speaking of weeds here, uh, Matt has a question. He said, I've had really good luck applying sulfentrazone products, Authority, Spartan, and so forth, in the fall for weed control, especially kochia in our area. I was curious about using Balance Flex or something similar the same way for our corn. We would put it out after our deep band application of P&K in the fall, then do some vertical tillage in the spring in front of planting corn, uh, along with trash whippers on our planter. Just wondering, have you had experience with putting out fall chemistry ahead of corn? Would you have certain yes. chemistry that you would recommend? Well, I'd just say you want to avoid anything that is leachable or doesn't last very long. So that's why usually we're not talking about Sencor. And for that matter, even I don't like atrazine very well in the fall either because of the ability it has to leach away. So instead... Usually in front of corn, we're talking group 15. Can you do an HBPD like Balance Flex? I, yeah, I suppose you could, but I, I just, I, I don't, I don't know if that's going to be necessarily the way you want to go. We're seeing HBPD resistance starting to pop up, so I'd rather use fewer HBPDs rather than more. But the flip side of that is, if you go in the fall, you can use a real high rate. So I do like that part. I mean, with yeah, and, and you could chemical. mix something like dicamba with it to to add some more burn yes. down for emerged weeds. Yes, yes, yep. So, I think that'd be a good idea. Yeah, at least that way you get a couple different modes of action. Because I agree with Brian with those HPPDs using them all by themselves. I'm not as much of a fan of. And the other side of using the HPPD is you do limit your crop or, or your crop selection for the next spring, right. just in yep. case you had to switch. I kind of like that about the Group 15s that. You right. can still go a variety of different ways, and Valor is one that we use a lot in soybeans, and that gives you a few options and doesn't stick around super, super long or anything like that, too. Hey, thanks for the question. We'll be right back after this. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. 
Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual-mode-of-action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucinto fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about our old nemesis, the spider mite. If you've got spider mites out in your field, they're tough to see, but it is time to be getting after them. If, if they're getting started, you might want to knock those guys out sooner rather than later. But it's tough when you think about, well, what are the thresholds? And I know we get a lot of questions around that. Man, I just can't seem to find thresholds. And it really varies depending on what kind of conditions you're getting, what crop you're raising, those types of things. So we're talking about spider mites on today's show. We'll also take any agronomic questions that you've got at 844-44-AG-PHD. Start off with Matt Jenkins, who works with FMC. Matt, how are you doing today? Good. How about you? Well, I'd be doing better if we didn't have spider mites already out in some of our fields, but uh, we're we're trying to knock those out as we speak. Uh, what are you seeing down in your area when you get down in the Kansas, Missouri area? I know you guys had a little bit of rain come through there this weekend. That's a good thing. Normally this time of year, uh, what are you seeing for mite populations? Yeah, exactly. It is a great thing. Um, you know, it, it started out pretty hot and dry, but um, in the last probably two to three weeks, uh, there has been rain. It has been spotty, but um, you know, as far as mite populations go, we know that um, once those uh, rains come through that can really knock those mite populations down so they were a big concern um you know middle of june and towards the end of june but then here in the first couple weeks of july they have come down quite a bit when you look at different products that get used i know bifenthrin is one active ingredient that in our area still works to knock out those adult mites but in some areas they say man i don't know if if bifenthrin is enough anymore is it a matter of how heavy the population is is there legitimately some pyrethroid resistance in some areas uh it can be some resistance certainly but a lot of it at least in missouri and kansas areas or eastern kansas that i cover a lot of it's going to be making sure that we're using high enough rates so when we think of something like hero we need to use that 10.3 fluid ounce rate and then coverage. Um, you know, when we're spraying for mites, 
soybean plants can be a little bit bigger. And we're going to need to make sure we have enough volume and enough PSI to get that insecticide down into you know the lower canopy where some of those mites can be. So it, it's a holistic approach where you know we need to make sure application is big as well and using proper rates. You know, that's a great comment. Well, a couple of things there. First of all, the rate. I hear a lot of folks that say, well, I'm out for this pest or that pest. And, oh, yeah, it, it should have some activity on mites. Well, not at that super low rate. It's not going to. But the other part of your conversation there, the volume of water that you're using, the pounds of pressure that you're using, those kinds of things, super critical. We got corn on our farm that's starting to tassel. And when you get mites down in the lower three leaves, maybe four leaves coming up from the bottom, it's tough to get enough product down that far to be effective. Yeah, it really can be. So like you said, just make sure that you have enough water and uh, enough PSI to really push it down there. And that's, uh, and, and that's always going to be a great benefit to us. How about in other crops besides corn? So we've got some soybeans on our farm. We've got some alfalfa. We've got some small grains. Where do you see mites being a problem in, in your part of Kansas, Missouri? Is it mostly in row crops, or do you see it in the cereals and other crops too? Um, so for us in Missouri and eastern Kansas, the big concerns are going to be um, in soybeans. You know, once it starts getting hot, uh, those it's going to be jumping like alfalfa, um, you know, recently mowed uh, grass alleyways, things like that. And then, you know, people are doing their, you know, scouting where they'll see those, you know, field edges start to bronze up. And then that's when they know they have some spider mites moving in. And it's time to make an application in soybeans. All right. So with, with beans, when you think about mites, are you worried about a certain level of mites or, or how, do you, how do you know when it is time to treat? Well, you do start to see, um, you know, bronze colorization or even, you know, the underside of that leaf starting to look sandblasted. Um, and then also when you do some scouting, you know, you have that white piece of paper underneath um, uh, that soybean plant and those might start dropping off. And then also a lot of it's going to depend on that weather. If you look at the weather forecast where it's going to continue to be hot and dry, I'd recommend making an application because those mite populations are only going to get, uh, you know, increase, uh, you know, increase their populations as the, as the dry and hot weather uh, continues. You know, this time of year, Matt, we've got growers that want to make fungicide applications and they're concerned about plant health. They're concerned about diseases, depending on which crop we're in. What do you think about the mite application happening at the same time? Are we, do we have kind of the same goals in terms of coverage or is there something different that you'd like to see? No, coverage uh, will, is still going to be very important. You know, remember with a lot of these fungicides, they have a residual activity. So uh, making sure that we're making um you know, have good coverage on those plants is important for fungicides as well as when we're uh, spraying on insecticides. With the different fungicides that, that you have with FMC to work with, what are you seeing on these soybeans once we get into these flowering stages? we get got a lot of guys now that say they're full flower to first pod. Seems like a great time to get that fungicide out year in and year out. That's been pretty good timing. Which particular products do you like to use? And is Hero kind of your go-to uh, if you're trying to get mites and insects at the same time? Yeah, so a popular combination right now here in Missouri and eastern Kansas is is Hero, and then you know we use five ounces of Lucento, or we have a newer product called Elevist, and also, and, and that's a combination of uh, Bifenthrin plus Renaxpir, so Vanticore, and one thing we see when it starts to get hot and dry is grasshoppers, and having that Vanticore piece in Elevist is going to give us a long residual on those grasshoppers, so you know if you're running through an area where you have a lot of worm pests as well, 
Elevis is going to be good for you if, if you're battling those worms as well as uh, grasshoppers. So uh, Elevis, you know, rates that we want to use for controlling spider mites at Elevis, they're going to be between 7.7 .7 and 9.6 fluid ounces. Tank mix that with five ounces of Lucinto, and that's going to be a very, very good tank mix uh, partner or tank mix for you uh, when you're trying to control your insects as well as uh, pathogens in the field. Hey, Matt, you mentioned grasshoppers. How bad is the grasshopper issue, or is that kind of uh, not been so bad since you've caught some recent rains? It has gone down a little bit with the recent rains, but, you know, if you're walking out in a lot of fields, you do see a lot a lot more grasshoppers this year, at least in the fields that I've been in. So it, it's definitely been a concern, and, and I know guys are a little bit shocked by how much grasshopper activity there was, especially in June, but with the recent rains, they've uh, their populations have gone down quite a bit in soybean fields. Well, that's a good thing because we're starting to put some pods on, and grasshoppers and pods on soybeans just don't mix, that's for sure. Exactly. Well, we're talking with Matt Jenkins here with FMC about spider mites and more on today's program. Matt, thank you so much. We really appreciate all the info. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So on spider mites here, Brian talked a little bit about some of the things that we're doing on our farm and, and that coverage piece that Matt hit on is, is really the one that we've been focused on a lot. We've been using ground rigs and trying to push as much water and pressure to, to get that product down deep in the canopy. But I know a number of our neighbors have been using aerial rigs and we've had that question, well, the aerial guys are putting on one gallon, two gallons, maybe three gallons versus 15 or 20 through a ground rig. Can we get that coverage? And it, it's, it really is a different type of application. And the good, the good thing to do is just do some checking and see, okay, let's, let's treat some product. And obviously you gotta, you have to watch the re-entry interval depending on what product you're using. But if you get an airplane to, to make a pass over a field and see how far down in that canopy you're going, maybe even from the end of the field, it might give you an idea of, right, am I getting enough push in there? They can adjust things just a little bit. They can adjust the angle of their wings or if it's a helicopter, the angle of their, their blades to, to try to get a little bit more push in the canopy and get deeper. I know some guys would like to stay higher up in the canopy if they don't have mites if your focus is i just want to protect the ear leaf and those leaves above but at this point with spider mites with tar spot for a lot of folks uh gray leaf spot you want to protect that entire plant because it's going some of those diseases even are going to start on the lower part of the plant and move their way up just like we're seeing spider mites do so do focus on that coverage piece try to to get finer droplets more volume, more pressure to try to push them deep, deep down into the canopy. All right, we talked a little bit about product selection there too, but uh, we've got uh, an entomologist coming up here in just a little bit to talk just about some more specifics about what makes mites such a, a difficult problem out in crops and, and the different types of mites that are out there and how you might manage each of them. Our phone lines will stay open throughout the show today at 844 44 ag phd if you have questions we can answer or you can always email us radio at agphd.com stay tuned we'll be right back it takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in and corteva agriscience gets that introducing you trisha and nutrient efficiency optimizer a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. 
It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Steward EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Steward EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. 360 Yield Saver pays back fast. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. For a 12-row corn head, harvesting 2,000 acres of corn, you'd spend $7,200 on the Yield Savers. Those replacement gathering chains cut header loss by 80%. With today's corn prices, the grain you save will pay for the investment of 360 Yield Saver in less than 600 acres. This crop is too valuable to leave bushels in the field due to header loss. Put that extra grain back in your tank with 360 Yield Saver. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today talking about spider mites, but also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head up to Alberta. we got Ryan on with us right now. How you doing, Ryan? Great, buddy. You? You know what? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We'll take some more rain down here, though. How about you guys up in Alberta? Oh, we've been hitting miss. It's uh, it's definitely been a weird year with all the with the fires and lots of smoke. Oh yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it was it was pretty thick down here in South Dakota the last couple of days, and and that's no fun. I can only imagine being a little closer to the action. Yeah, lots of cloud cover, and uh, sometimes it's almost like foggy. You can't even see through it. Oofta, oofta. So uh, I understand you got a cow paddock that hasn't been used. Tell me about that and what you're thinking. Well, that's kind of why I called in today. Uh, it's my main paddock where I hold everything. 
until I put them out on field on or on the pasture. And I was wondering what would be the best thing for me to plant that I could get to basically to plant to cover the ground so I'm not losing so much in erosion. What's the what's the game plan? So this winter there'll be cattle back in there again. Yes, that's right. Okay, and this is where they hang out until you can turn them loose in the pasture in the spring. The I guess the the question is, you know, how much how much are you willing to spend, and what are your options? Because you're thinking, okay, this is something that's just going to grow for a couple months, hold down erosion, basically act like a cover crop. And I would assume you'd kind of want the cattle just to eat it in the fall, or, or are you hoping they might even get a little hay off it? You're exactly right. I'm hoping they'll eat it come late fall, late fall, early winter. But in in, in terms of like, I, I don't really care about the budget. I just, I don't want to lose the soil. Sure. I keep hearing you guys saying how much money you lose with erosion and et cetera. But in the past, everyone just lets them go. And I kind of want to be proactive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that too. And I, I, we, uh, we haven't had our own livestock now for a while, but we've got a neighbor that rents our, our pasture and, and our, um, area that we would hold cattle in in the winter as well is is now all grass and it's a perennial grass but we don't have cattle that are in there long enough to to uh, tear it all up so it just keeps coming back every year now so we're kind of in a spot where we could use a perennial you know to me i would look at what's going to survive well into the fall and you know maybe it's a winter type crop that that could be seeded that's going to be pretty hardy when temperatures get cold so it's still there you know it could be something like winter wheat maybe or maybe it's maybe it's just oats and you say well i'm just going to go with oats and go cheap and and i should be able to get some grass growing pretty pretty easily with that if you get a little moisture we've had much better luck in these hot summer months of using a drill or something that would get the seed down in the soil rather than just broadcasting on the top or and trying to till it in lightly something like that so uh, that's what I would look for if it was me is is some kind of grass that I could grow that would stay hardy heading into the fall. What my neighbor recommended was doing uh, clover and uh, and putting a mix of oats in as well. And I, that's what kind of what led me to call you today. Yeah, yeah, and you sure could. I mean, I like oats because they take off pretty quick. And if you've got a couple of months before it's going to freeze up or or maybe two or three months before you run all the cattle back in, you're going to get a bunch of growth out of that. At least we would on our farm. So that that would work for me. The clover, I mean, if you want to, you sure can. I, I don't know how much that seed costs, and I don't know how exactly what type of clover, but I mean, it's sure not going to hurt anything. I, I doubt you're going to be spraying for weeds out in this. So you're, you're kind of just going to take what comes. Yeah. And no matter what I put there, it's going to be gone next year anyway. So we'll have a trample to death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, I know like in our, our feedlots too, growing up, uh, yeah, there'd be all kinds of crazy things that would start growing out there. There'd be lots of different weeds that probably came in whatever the, the feed was that we were using. And um, But I know when we've, we've established grass in some of these feedlots, it's been nice, just like you say, for holding the soil in place and, and keeping things decent until until it's being used again. So, yeah, I, I'm sure fine with that. If, that's, uh, if you've got access to that and it's not going to cost you too terrible much, uh, I, I would go for it, and if you wanted to experiment with a couple different things so you know for next year, hey, I'll put this on, on part of it, and I'll put something different on the other part, 
you could do a little comparison too, but I'm guessing it's not that big an area that you probably just want to do one thing for the whole, whole paddock. It's just five acres, but one, one friend actually suggested just planting straight fescue. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you sure could. I, I don't think you can go wrong with any of these options. Okay. Yeah, I just no, want to I get. Kind of I just want to get opinion. as much growth as it can, and and like I say, you probably got two to three months before freeze up, so you got plenty of time for stuff to grow if you get lucky and catch a little rain to get her started. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your opinion, sir. You, you bet. Thank you. Good luck, Ryan. Have a great day. You bet. You too. Let's head down to Kansas. We got Jeff Whitworth with us, who's a, an entomologist at Kansas State. How you doing, Jeff? Great. How are you today? Good. We're talking about your old pal, the spider mite, on today's show. And, I do not like spider oh, mites. <laughs> we've got some on our farm right now. Uh, talk to us just a little bit about what you see in Kansas. Do you see different types of spider mites, and, and does the manage management change just a little bit depending on what kind? <laughs> well, first of all, I do not like spider mites, as you implied. Um, spider mites, but yeah, basically there are two different types, the banks grass and the uh, two-spotted. They both do about the same type of uh, damage. Uh, the two-spotted probably has a little broader broader host range uh, than the bank's grass mite, but they're both at different times of the year, different years. They can both be serious pests. Um, as most folks know, they are really tough to control for several different reasons. Number one, they're very prolific. Um, each female spider mite depends on, I mean, either, it doesn't matter which species it is, they can produce several hundred eggs. They'll live for a couple of months and produce these eggs, but then that egg can go from egg stage to producing eggs itself in less than 20 days, depending upon the temperature. I'm talking summertime temperatures, you know, 70 to 100 degrees. They are going through those life cycles very quickly, so you got millions of little mites out there producing more billions of eggs and each mite is looking for the cells of the plants to suck the juice out of so they're competing with the with the plant and that presents a real problem they have a webbing that they cover themselves with which obviously uh, helps protect them and helps protect them against any miticide or insecticide you trying to treat them with uh, so they can be a real problem and they have been a real problem they are we are starting to see them now in Kansas we've had a lot of rain in some places and some places we haven't which is normal for Kansas and southwestern part of the state is generally the, the problem area for mites just because it is drier and we are starting to see mites in soybeans and corn and corn is the traditional crop I think that we have problems with but soybeans in the last four or five years we're starting to see more and more problems with spider mites and again if you're going to treat them with anything it's all about timing make sure that timing is correct but also especially with spider mites or any other pests and especially in soybeans it's all about gallonage you want to make dang sure you use the proper amount of gallonage or carrier or water whatever to get the miticide or the insecticide um, spread throughout the canopy because these are mostly contact miticides or insecticides so they have to actually 
contact the pest in order to control them. So you want to give them the the best shot at controlling them as possible and use proper amount of gallonage. We did a study with uh, alfalfa just this year to, uh, using 8 versus 15 gallons on alfalfa weevils, and there's a twofold difference just in gallonage using the same rate. Um, you know, so Texas A&M did a study a few years back on spider mites using different gallonages also, and they found if you use five gallons per acre, you get better coverage, therefore better control than if you use one, two, or three. Yeah, so. It's all about the coverage on this tiny, tiny little pest out there that can be a big problem, the spider mite. Hey, Jeff, we got to run. Thank you so much for the info, though. Good talking to you again, and, and uh, have a great rest of your summer. Stay tuned. We'll be right back to talk more about spider mites. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, being a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us.
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about spider mites, and it's amazing. People want to actually talk about this. I, I don't. I just want them gone. <laughs> but I don't want to do talking. I just want to go out and treat and, and get rid of these things. we got a bunch of spider mites that are showing up in our cornfields. Like Brian had said to start the show off, we've had half of normal rainfall for each of the last three years. So that really hasn't helped our cause at all. But here we go. Uh, so we're out treating and, and hopefully doing a pretty good job following a lot of the tips that you're hearing on today's show. Use a lot of pressure, use small droplets, use a lot of spray volume, those kinds of things to get good coverage. Got Brandon with us right now down in southeast Missouri. How you doing, Brandon? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Good, good. What can we do for you? Well, you, you guys kind of answered part of my question on the alfalfa side of things, but... My question is, is when do you spray alfalfa for mites? Because I do have a few out there. I'm about a, uh, seven to ten days away from cutting and just wondering, well, and the other side of this question is, is I've got alfalfa right next to these fields that is freshly cut. Words, what do you guys think? Okay. Well, with any treatment that we're going to do in alfalfa, we're going to look at the product labels and look at the pre-harvest interval. And with insecticides, I'm pretty familiar with those pre-harvest intervals for our farm because we're sprayed for different bugs out there, whether it's alfalfa weevil larvae or leaf hoppers or aphids or, or those types of things. And you can get uh, pre-harvest intervals that are a week or less. On the miticides, I'm not certain off the top of my head. I'd have, I'd have to look up labels to see uh, products like Zeal or Oberon or whatnot, what, what is labeled in alfalfa and what the pre-harvest interval is. So look for the PHI or pre-harvest interval on the labels to kind of give you an indication of how far ahead of harvest do I need to be? We're, we're actually cutting hay today on our farm and I did not notice that we had any mites out there, but man, they are so small and, and tough to see that, um, I could have missed it too. And I certainly wasn't in every area of every field, something like that. But where are you seeing them? Are you, do you see them up at the top of the plant or are you seeing them down lower or are they kind of all throughout? Um, kind of all throughout the plant but it's mostly next to some soybeans that have been sure. treated. And they're, like I said, I don't think that they're bad. I'm just more worried, I guess, about them migrating into the stuff that's starting growing because we haven't had any rain for I don't know how long, too yeah. long. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know what you mean. We, we see the same thing. Like uh, one area where we, we can get into a problem on a dry year like this is around our Ag PhD field day site. And it's, uh, I think uh, Matt Jenkins with FMC uh, made a comment about if you mow any grass around the edge of crop, we, we learned this the hard way because we did it twice that I can remember where we mowed along the edge and some of those clippings on like a 10 or 15 foot walkway, it's, it's pretty hard not to do this, but some of the clippings blew out into various crops and we ended up pushing mites out of the grass into whatever crop was nearby. So we, that was enough for us after the second time is like, okay, we're never doing that again. We're going to get mowers that aren't going to spit the grass clippings out the side so we don't run into that problem again. So For I know sure. what you mean. As soon as you have uh, um, one crop next to another, you can, you can definitely move things around. So uh, for me, I think I'd, 
I guess I'd look at the labels and see what those pre-harvest intervals are if you can do something ahead of time. Otherwise, if you're just going to cut the alfalfa and say, okay, I'm going to cut and then I'm going to see what comes back and, and treat accordingly earlier on, that would be something to do. For for us, we're generally trying, and we aren't perfect at this, but we're generally trying to scout alfalfa at least a couple weeks ahead so we have time to get all our stuff organized and get our treatments yeah. done. Uh, but it doesn't always work that way. So that's what I do. Well, I, I, more than anything, I was just wanting to see if you guys, what you guys' opinion on it was is once I clear it down to, well, basically bare dirt, do the spider mites survive or do they not? Or well, they got to come from somewhere to to infect your plants to begin with. Um, I, I guess I can pose that question to our next guest here. We've got uh, Bob Wright on, who's an entomologist at Nebraska. Bob, uh, speaking about alfalfa and spider mites, Brandon down in southeast Missouri has the question: What do you see with alfalfa? Do you do you run into that in Nebraska where you get mites in the alfalfa too? No, it's been pretty rare historically. It's more of a problem, like in California and Arizona. But it can happen in the Midwest too. You know, when you're you're looking at various crops, like he was mentioning, being next to soybeans that that they were treating, uh, there's a lot of treatments that go out there that that aren't effective on mites or or don't do the best job. Uh, in Nebraska, I know we're a lot of times we're talking about corn acres or soybean acres with treatment. What do you advise growers when when they say, "Man, I have identified mites, or I'm concerned I might have mites out in those fields." For corn or soybeans or? Yes, for either one. Yeah, uh, try to assess uh, where they are on, on the plant, uh, particularly in corn. You, know, you want to watch the colonies if they're below the, way below the ear leaf. That may not cause much damage, but once they get up to the ear leaf level, that's when you want to be concerned. Uh, some Something similar in soybeans in terms of if they're only on the lower part of the plant, uh, that may not be as bad. But it, once they get up in the middle of the part of the plant that's, and they're common throughout the field, that's where there's more likely to be economic damage and you probably need to treat. You know, we were mentioning just the, the mowing around the edge. I know once we, we get to this time of year, growers are, are cutting grass ditches around the edges of fields and trying to take whatever hay they can, especially in these dry areas. Uh, when when they do that, do any of the mites stay there when it gets cut low? Like Brandon was talking about, I'm going to cut down to just about the dirt on this alfalfa. Are, are the mites going to leave with the crop, or are you going to have a bunch that are on the ground that are just going to jump right back on that plant as soon as it starts growing some leaves? No, oh, they'll they'll try to move. Uh, mites can get get up in the wind and and. Uh, excrete a silk and, and balloon away like spiders do. Uh, they're not going to just stay there. They're going to try to move unless, unless they can get on the wind. They're not going to move very far. Sure. Sure. What, what kind of might you're, oh, just, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say the other thing with, if you cut out, cut field borders to watch for is you might be driving grasshoppers into the field too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that has been a big issue this year. For I would say we've had a lot more grasshopper calls, but we're starting to get more sure. more growers noticing that they've got some mites out there. How, how about in Nebraska? Have you guys gotten enough rain now that that that's helped the problem a little bit, or is it still awfully dry? Well, in some areas we still have some dry areas. We we got rain, but some of it was pretty spotty. Uh, I guess about a month ago, I was getting some small. Re, uh, 
some reports of spider mites in corn and soybean, but not very widespread. And uh, but now they're probably building up in some areas, uh, especially the drier areas. I think the thing to watch for is the south-facing edges of fields or west-facing edges or parts of the field that are sandy and water-stressed. That's where the spider mites are going to show up first. Yep, those are good tips. Yeah, I know we normally see them in our lighter, sandier-type spots first, but I, I hadn't really thought about the south or the west-facing edges of fields. I, I agree with you. We've been seeing a lot of the grasshoppers on these borders, and uh, one of our previous callers was talking about just seeing the edges of fields that, that were kind of turning bronze or, or sandblasted, and um, we, we definitely look for mites once we start seeing those types of symptoms. Right. Yeah, and the other thing, uh, be sure to see that there's live mites. There's a lot of things that can cause yellowing of leaves, whether it's disease or fertility issues on the lower leaves. So be sure you have live mites that are present that are causing the damage. Yep, that is a that's another great tip, and we kind of talked about that when these mites are so small, getting a magnifying glass or or shaking them out on some white paper, and you know just some different ways that you can see those mites. It's really important to be prepared for that at this time of year, especially if if mites are suspected in your area. Well, Bob, thank you so much. We really appreciate the info as usual, and uh, and thanks for being on the show. Okay, talk to you later. You bet. Brandon, hopefully that answers your questions as well on these mites. It sounds like uh, you haven't gotten rid of them for sure. If you do cut that alfalfa, you should still keep an eye out for mites on the regrowth. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brother's. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. In his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more, and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. 
This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Been talking about spider mites on today's program, but also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And of course, your emails, radio at agphd.com. Got a few email questions to dive into here during the Ag PhD mailbag time. Brian, this one comes in from Andrew up in New York. And Andrew said, hey, guys, could you explain how nodulation and nitrogen fixation works just real briefly in soybeans? And then what nutrients do I need or soil conditions do I need to get the most out of nodulation? We are inoculating, but we've got areas in our fields that look poor, light green, uh, and other areas look amazing. And I think it's partially due to compaction, uh, but I'm also thinking about soil fertility in general, too. Hey, thanks for the question, yeah, Andrew. Think about soil, yeah, think about soil fertility, but, I, I mean, with better nodulation, you're not going to totally fix areas that don't look great. So I'd just say, number one, how it works is basically this. Live bacteria, so rhizobia bacteria in the soil, colonize on soybean roots. They pull nitrogen from the air. Keep in mind, our air is composed, well, the number one thing is nitrogen. They pull nitrogen from the air, turn it into a form the plant can use. In effect, basically feed it to the plant. In exchange, the plant gives the bacteria sugars, so they do better. So the more nitrogen that gets produced by the bacteria, the more sugars get kicked out. So it's a symbiotic relationship. What you need for better nodulation is, number one, you've got to have air in that soil. So you can't have poor drainage. Um, and then beyond that, you just want good overall conditions for the live bacteria. So in other words, the more organic matter, the better. Um, you want to have uh, some moisture. You don't need a ridiculous amount, but some is good. And you want your soil pH to be, let's call it in the sixes, maybe low sevens, something like that. You just don't want a four pH yeah, or a get, nine pH or something super extreme. You get way below a six, you get way above an eight. We just see nodulation fall off a lot. Also, if you've got right. extremely high levels of nitrogen, then the, the plants don't have to, uh, don't have to feed those nodules as much. Now we've had contradictory reports on that. I know Kip Cullors was on the show once and, and talked about he had done a, a study where he put an excessive amount of N on just in a strip to see what would happen with nodulation. And he still had nodules, so it's not like he yeah. isn't going to produce yeah. any. But right. Um, right. I know a lot of folks say nodulation is better if you have a moderate level of nitrogen in the soil. But 
having more phosphorus has been shown to improve nodulation. A lot of folks will say boron and molybdenum are involved, as is sulfur uh, and cobalt. And, and what that leads me to believe is there's a lot of different nutrients involved. So having good balanced fertility is really important in your fields as well. Hey, Darren, when you bring up excessive nitrogen, let's keep in mind a soybean plant needs roughly five and a half pounds of nitrogen per bushel. So if let's say I'm going for 80 bushel beans, which that would be our goal for sure on most of our fields on our farm, um, 80 times five and a half is 440 pounds. So in other words, what we're saying here is excessive nitrogen is not 100 pounds. If you've got 100 pounds of nitrogen, that, that is in no way excessive. What we're talking about is 300 to 500 pounds of nitrogen out there. And you might go, whoa, nobody does that. Oh, yeah, all kinds of guys do with manure. So if you have 300, 500, 800 pounds of nitrogen out there, well, yeah, then you probably aren't going to see a lot of nodulation. But if you've got 100 pounds or less, you should expect to see good nodulation all the time if the conditions are right. All right, uh, take another question here from Joe. He said, guys, I've got some burr cucumbers showing up in my Roundup Ready corn. I am after brown silk. What can I do to treat for this? Boy, Joe, that's a tough, tough issue to have weeds come up super, super late in the year. There aren't a whole lot of species that become a massive problem for that, but burr cucumber is certainly one of them. Brown silk treatments, Brian, we've talked about a bunch here in the last few weeks on the show of man, it's a last resort. We really don't want to do that at all. But uh, if you were this late and burr cucumbers coming, I don't know what you can spray that's strong enough to really take out great big plants. No. No. When you said we've talked about it a bunch, there aren't, that doesn't mean there are a bunch of different herbicide options. There's mostly, most everybody just talks about one. It's 2,4-D late post-brown silk. And yeah, you can't use a ridiculously high rate. We're not big fans of it. It's not going to help your yield at all. Might help your harvestability a little bit. Uh, might help your weed seed bank a little bit, but it's just, it's really late. So, I mean, I hate to say this because I, I want all weeds to die, but I, I mean, if that happened on our farm, I'd probably just let it go. Yep. I would strongly consider that as well. I, I can't say that we've ever wanted to go back out there. We just kind of bite the bullet. Yep, we didn't do a good enough job this year. We got to do better on it next year. Okay. And uh, then the problem is when you do poorly in one year, then it usually means five years of fighting it. That's kind of what we found, four to five years. So you just have to then understand, all right, now I, I screwed up. For the next four to five years, I, in that field, am going to have to invest an extra probably 10 to $20 and another trip. And then I'm going to solve this problem. But this is what we see all the time. People have complaints on fields where there have been a lot of weeds in the past. So if you can just keep those weeds down, you do a good job, then hopefully moving forward, it's a lot easier. All right. One other thing that's happening out in fields right now is we're seeing more insects. I got this one in from Travis. He said, I'm up in northwest Wisconsin, and it's my first year with apples, and I've got some Honeycrisp apple trees, and I've been spraying them with a, a pyrethroid that seems to knock down the Japanese beetles that keep coming back, but they keep coming back. Is there something better I can use, something that might last longer? Would bifenthrin be preferable to some of the other cheaper pyrethroids? Uh, 
Oh, you're waiting for me to handle that one? I thought you were taking that one, Darren. Yeah, I don't know what else you can do in apples. Uh, but if the question is simply, is bifenthrin better than the others? It's slightly better. Is it going to be dramatic? Is there going to be a dramatic difference? No. And here's my biggest concern. If you use pyrethroid followed by pyrethroid followed by pyrethroid and you're doing multiple shots per year, um, I'm really concerned about resistance. So if you can, I, I would try using something else to hold those back. Okay. Um, get this question that came in from Ravi. He said, guys, uh, raising different crops in a, a different area than you guys are, but looking at the active ingredients of a, a combination premix that we were recommended, it has the active ingredient that you use in soybeans from Blazer and that you use in wheat from Discover. So it's a grass killer and a PPO. Have you had issues with these types of mixes before, or do you think it will work just fine on weeds? Yeah, we have issues with mixes like that all the time. The grass killer usually doesn't work as well when it's together with a broadleaf killer. That's kind of the standard antagonism issue that we've talked about for decades now. Um, now, I'll also say both of those chemistries are they're fine. It's just they're they're pretty specific. In other words, like the Ultra Blazer product, I, I mean, there are a, a handful of weeds it's pretty good on. But, you know, if you're after water hemp, for example, that's eh, not going to do it. With Discover, is it pretty good on foxtails and not too bad on wild oats? Sure. But let's say you get a bunch of brome species or something else out there, may not be the best. So I'm just trying to say these are pretty specific chemistries. Make sure you know what you're after because it, this isn't going to be as broad spectrum as going out and spraying roundup on a whole bunch of different grasses or spraying let's say status or gramoxone or liberty on a bunch of different broadleaves i, I mean the, these aren't super broad spectrum products yeah i think they would work better sprayed alone but i, I certainly get why you would want to do them at the same time if you're trying to save a pass. And, and I also see in many different crops, there aren't a lot of active ingredients labeled. So sometimes that the best thing you can do is use what is labeled in your crop and, and hope for the best results. Just try and spray when the weeds are small to try to get past some of this antagonism as well. Uh, I get this one in from Claudia. She said, uh, toad flax, guys, it's currently flowering. What can be done? Well, uh, whether it's yellow or Dalmatian toad flax, both are short-lived perennials. Uh, there are beneficial weevils, moths, and beetles, but you're already flowering, so you're at the end of the end of the road here on your toad flax. So herbicides, depending on where you're at, Tordon works quite well uh, using a quart to even two quarts of Tordon in non-crop areas. Have to be careful around trees. Can't be anywhere as close to water. Uh, dicamba can work, but you've got to spray at least a quart. Uh, also, Plateau often gets used at 8 to 12 ounces, or Tellar, uh, which is an ALS-type chemistry at 2 to 3 ounces. But you want to get after it now because it is a perennial. Thanks for listening to our show today. Please join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.